Welcome to The Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedeckes. And now, get ready to think. Welcome back to another episode of The Think Podcast with Joel Sedeckes. I'm Joel Sedeckes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Ooh, we got a good one today. I know I say that every time I interview anybody, but today I truly mean it. And I'll tell you why. I am interviewing a good brother. This is a this is a brother I have been to war with. This is a brother I've been on the front line with um, in terms of the Great Commission and uh, spiritual warfare. Um, and although I've only known him a short time, uh, this is uh, a, just a great, great brother I feel a lot of camaraderie with and someone that I am very excited to introduce to you today. So let's go ahead and get into the show. If you are watching on YouTube, go ahead, like this video. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to our channel. Make sure you hit that bell so that you never miss a moment. And uh, if you're watching on Facebook, go ahead and like this video. And then why don't you go ahead and give a like to the Think Institute page as well. And um, uh, make sure that you connect with us. And let me just say at the outset here too, if you're listening via the podcast, please give us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps to get the word out about our show and helps us hit the charts and everything else that is um, helping us equip and encourage and engage followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's get into it. You've seen them on State Street in downtown Chicago or in the downtown of your local city, or maybe you've seen them on the way to the football stadium or outside your local abortion mill. Sometimes they hold signs. Often they use voice amplification. Depending on your perspective, they're either embarrassing and possibly very convicting. They're zealots or heroes of the faith. Even Christians who agree with their message are often less than enthusiastic about their means of delivering it. I'm talking, of course, about street preachers or open-air preachers, as they're sometimes known. And today, I get to sit down with a real-life open-air preacher and a good friend and brother in Christ to get some questions answered about this controversial yet exciting practice that seems to be as old as the Bible itself. Now, speaking of the Bible, there are clearly numerous examples of open-air preachers, including prophets, apostles, even the Lord Jesus himself. Yet, while street preaching is a method with biblical precedent, not to mention it's used by it's been used by some of the foremost revival leaders in church history. Most evangelism training today doesn't even mention it, let alone train believers to do it, instead focusing on relationship-based evangelism. The implied message seems to be that while open-air preaching worked in the past, times have now changed. New methods are now needed, out with the old and in with the new. And yet, can a practice with such an impressive historical and biblical pedigree as street preaching has really be ready to be dustbinned in favor of other methods? These are the questions we need to be asking. Should open-air preaching perhaps be the primary way the church evangelizes today? And who's to say? To help us sort through all these vital questions and many more is my friend, ministry leader, pastor, and open-air preacher, Zoe White. Zoe, I'm going to bring you onto the stream here, and then I'm going to commence with your biography, brother. Here we go. Okay. Now, who is Zoe White. That's the question. 
Zoe has a passion for knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and making him known. Zoe is a former Roman Catholic. He was justified by faith, not works, at the age of 14 at a Presbyterian youth retreat in Florida. Presbyterian, but we won't hold that against him. We, we like Zoe, all right? And uh, today, he is an open-air preaching evangelist, no longer Presbyterian. Not that he, I don't know if he ever was. I guess we'll find out. Uh, he's a disciple maker, conference organizer, church planter. I've spoken at one of his conferences. We'll talk more about that too. Zoe is dedicated to boldly proclaiming the one pure gospel of grace clearly to as many people as possible before Christ returns or calls him home. You can read his whole biography in, um, on the, in the show notes on the website, but let's just say this. Zoe is the founder of Declaring Truth Ministries, an open-air evangelism ministry based in Southeast Louisiana, which encourages and equips believers to declare the gospel faithfully. He's a full-time evangelist declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly to all peoples. He has a love for Charles Spurgeon and launched a website, uh, launched a, a company called Spurgeon Gear in 2018. It's a clothing brand dedicated to honoring the legacy of the Prince of Preachers. You can go to SpurgeonGear.com. Check that out. Highly endorse Spurgeon Gear. Anything related to Spurgeon, I'm all about it. And um, he's the planting elder of Caruso Baptist Church in Baton Rouge. All right. That's enough introduction. Brother, Zoe, how you doing, my friend? What's up, man? <laughs> I'm sorry I gave you such a such a huge giant bio. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. A man, a man of your stature deserves a, a an introduction of that stature and of that length. <laughs> so how are things going down there, man? You're looking uh you're looking good. You are also looking you're, you're looking at making a big change in life coming up, right? Yeah, it looks like about it. I don't want to, I don't want to air your business here if you don't want me to, but no, 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 it's, it's good. Um, gotta get the word out. So, uh, we've been living in a bus, a 1977 MC eight crusader retired Greyhound bus, yes, sir. uh, 40 foot long. It's uh, less than 300 square feet. And um, me and my wife, six kids, been living in there. Uh, and it's a good thing that we've been there. Uh, some ministry partners of ours bought our three-bed, two-bath home, relieved us of that, that mortgage. And then we went on the search for a tiny home, something that we could just own for a while. And uh, the Lord brought us to a bus. And it's the last thing on our minds, but had some you know epic storage bays. We could put all of our things in there and uh, we sold off a lot of possessions and just, we just felt that it was getting us closer into where mm -hmm. uh, the Lord would have us. Um, we prayed going into it that we'd be in the bus for two to five years and hit that 18 month. The 18 month mark is where, um, you know, my little, my little eight month old baby's got nowhere to really crawl. Um, I see my, my six year old son about kick kicking the head my other daughter up in the bunk beds that we built in there so it's like you know lord so we began to just pray in private you know and uh lord would you have us move out and around the same time uh we're a few months into planting caruso baptist church mm -hmm. and we are convinced in scripture that it'd be best for us to plant a house church uh we see many benefits with that uh but we don't have a house and we can't really fit anybody in the bus right. so um, then out of nowhere, some ministry partners said, you know, we want to help you get out of the bus and transition into a home. 
Um, they, this is so cool. Decades ago, they helped host a, a house church. They were the hosting home really? and, uh, he was one of the elders. So they're bought into that vision. So yeah, he's a, not only do we want to see you guys get some space for your kids, but, uh, we would love for you guys to have that same experience that we did, uh, to, uh, plant a house church, uh, here in Baton Rouge. And so that's what we're doing. Um, we had a large one-time gift that came in. Uh, we don't have all the funds that we need to see this, you know, kind of on a renewal basis year over year over year. Um, but we have enough to pursue. Um, this is crazy. It's it's crazy that we're even looking at places to rent. It is it's that's God's provision for us. And uh, so, yeah, so we looked at a place today, actually. So uh, any day now we, we may come across the one that God's leading us to. And it's like we're looking for a, a a home to rent for the purpose of not only training our children uh, in the way of Christ, but also discipling believers and gathering them together yeah. uh, with the church plant. So yeah. uh, we're we're pumped. Man, praise God! That that is very very exciting. And uh, let me just encourage our listeners and viewers: pray for Brother Zoe and his family as they are looking for a, a home. And I mean, um, you know, when you pray too, the Bible is replete with examples of prayers that actually give God reasons for why he should grant the request. So Lord, you know, please give the white family a new home. They want to use it for your glory. They want to gather the saints. Think about how much you'd be glorified, Lord. You know, you see Moses and, and David actually reasoning with God. In fact, God himself encourages us to reason together with him. And so um, you can lift up that request to the Lord and, um, and we'll be anxiously waiting to see how God provides for it. But that's exciting. So could you give us your background into, because I want to talk to you today about open air preaching, man. We got we, we have got to discuss this because it is such a controversial subject. And you know, before I came down and uh, came down to declaring truth at Mardi Gras, which we'll talk more about in a few minutes, I had only ever open air preached one time I was, um, and it was only a couple of months before I came down. It was at an abortion mill, uh, in the area up, up here in Chicagoland. And so, um, I, I've always had respect for the practice. Um, I've encouraged open air preachers, you know, as I see them on the street and things like that, but, but man, this is such a controversial practice. So how, what's your background? How did you get into open air evangelism and street preaching? So... In college, so I was saved at 14, but it was really um, freshman, sophomore year of college where I really came into contact with Reformed teachings. Uh, and that's where I really felt that I learned the gospel, really, and was able to articulate it. I began to take mission trips, short-term mission trips, all throughout college. So, you know, spring breaks and summers and Christmas breaks, they were all, um, I was always booking these short-term mission trips fundraising all year uh, and and just trying to stay uh, on mission, bringing the gospel to unreached people groups, you know, Piper and, you know, David Platt. And, you know, they, th at the time, those are those voices really pushing for right. uh, seeing the gospel go to unreached people groups. And so, um, you know, I had the opportunity to go to South Africa, Swaziland, India, Vietnam, uh, when my wife and I got married, we felt that it was going to be North India. Uh, we 
took our first daughter there on a vision trip. Um, on the way back, we, we stopped by London to meet other missions personnel. Um, for a while there, we were thinking we were going to be in London for a few years with this apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. The Lord shut the door to all that. So, so the, the road has been very long, very long, uh, just pursuing missions and evangelism, but at times going through more of a denominational um, path. So, you know, at, at a particular time, and this is about four years ago, um, I tried to share the gospel in a gas station. I was driving trucks at night and I tried to share the gospel. You know, I'm the missionary, right? Called to be a missionary. Right. I was kind of, you, you, once you sense a call, you kind of wear that label. And um, I had a really hard time buying our home that we bought in, in Louisiana because it's like, okay, but we're called to go. I, I don't want to keep, I don't want to stay here if I'm called to go because you hear right. uh, men would tell me, Hey, keep the hope alive. Don't, don't drink in the American dream, you know? Yeah. And uh, that really stuck with me. Um, well, okay. Fast forward, you know, four years ago, I try to share the gospel in a gas station, you know, 12, you know, one o'clock in the morning and no one's in there. And uh, I, I just felt like I struggled so much. And it was where this whole persona and, and this life pursuit of bringing the gospel out there, it was this uh, realization that, you know, when the stakes were so low, just one-on-one -on -one in a gas station at night, and I was sensing the, the call and the Holy Spirit saying, preach the gospel to this young lady, and I just could not put my words together. Uh, I could not bring the scriptures and it was so, so convicting. The Lord used that moment and used that season of life um, to bring repentance. And so what happened was um, I met up with another Christian truck driver and we would talk about kingdom life and ministry. And after that experience in the gas station that night, I go to my friend Elliot and say, Man, I had such a hard time evangelizing. What's going on? And he says, man, I know what you need. You need some gospel tracks. And he went into the cab of his truck and he came out with a bunch of million dollar bills of those Ray Comfort Living Waters uh, yeah. gospel tracks. Yeah. And uh, man, that's all I needed at the time. I went hook, line and sinker into all things Ray Comfort Living Waters. And turns out I'm, I'm, I'm a statistic. You know, thousands of people have been mobilized to go out to the street because of uh, of Ray's uh, love for the lost and yeah, Ray Comfort uh, probably being the most prominent open air preacher today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more later about what separates his method from yours. But sure, there's no question he's had an amazing influence uh, on on mobilizing people, getting them out there. Yeah, that's that's you know that's kind of how I see it today. That anytime we can see the Lord blessing someone's ministry in a peculiar manner, we want to say praise the Lord. Um, he is ultimately at work. Um, and then, you know, we're not going to agree on every single doctrinal point and, uh, it's okay to disagree and cling to the word and yet be thankful for another man's ministry. Um, and so at the time that got me going, you know, I, I bought me a sample pack of gospel tracks from living waters. You know, there was a 4th of July event, thousands of people in this you know, medium sized town, uh, that I was living near as a college town there in Hammond, Louisiana. 
and uh, thousands of people at this 4th of July, this, this park event. And I had my little pack of 50 gospel tracks. I had been listening to all the audio class, you know, trainings from Living Waters. And man, I was so jazzed. I had my 50 gospel tracks and they were distributed within, you know, 15 minutes. And I was just yeah. so joyful and so excited. <laughs> and I was just up here, you know, and I'm like, right. what was that? I was so, so fearful. Yet I was trying to walk through that fear. I got into the car, I called my wife and said, Chelsea, I'm coming back next year with hundreds of tracks. I was going to say 50 tracks, knowing you, that, that wouldn't have lasted very long. So when you said it was about 15 <laughs> minutes, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. What's well, when I look back on that, that's after over a decade of sensing the call into missions and evangelism, mm. taking all those mission trips, yeah. not to say I was not evangelizing on those trips, but I had categorically placed evangelism on something you do over there. Right. And though I hated hearing it at the time. I think Kevin DeYoung said this and it was repeated to me, but a plane ticket doesn't make you a missionary. Yeah. That whole idea, I hated hearing it at the time because when I heard it the first time, it was kind of used as an insult. But, but I look back on that. You know what? That was so true. That's what was going on. Mm. And I think what I came into contact with, with Ray Comfort that we can be so thankful for is that he is showing that evangelism can be a way of life, a pattern. Mm -hmm a pattern, a disciplined pattern of life for believers and all the joy and the fruitfulness that comes from consistently having an, an open hand and open heart toward all those that you find yourself around to deliver the gospel to. And um, that's what began to happen. Started to just have so much excitement. The adventure of the Christian life, it all came alive. And in that season of repentance, so many things changed and uh, I was willing to approach evangelism and missions in a completely new light. Um, and so that's when I Googled. Uh, so, well, Ray Comfort says it was some type of, you know, advertisement on their podcast or something. And he said, you know, so you like to share the gospel with one person? How about you preaching the gospel to a hundred? Right. And uh, that's how he framed it. And just with his personality, it's like, whoa, what's going on? And for the first time, open air preaching was introduced to me. Shame, shame, shame that it, it has to wait until I've been a believer for 20 years or so mm -hmm. for me to be introduced to open air preaching. And that's, that's really sad. So anyway, he frames it that way. And so what what is this? And uh, I began to learn, began to learn. And um and so I, I, <laughs> I put into Google, you know, street preaching or, or open air preaching. And you see all the bad stuff, the bad examples that we would separate ourselves from today. Right. That's the stuff that everybody thinks of immediately. As soon as you say yeah. street preaching, they think of the worst possible examples. And so you, you found all that. Um, so you, you now have started declaring truth, which is an open air evangelism ministry. How did you go from just hearing about it to being so all into the practice though? And yeah, okay. It was 20 years. Sure. Some people go their whole lives. So, I mean, you, you're, you're, you know, you're ahead of them in that regard, but how did you go to actually starting this ministry? And I'm going to pull your website up too, so people can see it while you talk. If, if you could tell us like what, what motivated you 
to the point where you're like, not only am I going to make this a practice and piggyback off of what other people are doing, but I want to start declaring truth. I want to literally start the organization. And um, because from there, maybe then we could piggyback and we could segue over to declaring truth at Mardi Gras. Um, but, but how did you get declaring truth started? Yeah. So after I Googled street preaching, just in general, mm -hmm. I then Googled reformed street preaching, reformed open air preaching. Okay. And I came across sports fan outreach international. Uh, Bill Adams heads that up and he has been at it for a long time. And um, he introduced me to the ministry of George Whitfield. Uh, he introduced me to sound um, biblical evangelism, open air preaching uh, that's reformed in nature. And so casting a wide net, proclaiming with an uplifted voice, Caruso, uh, that God calls men to lift their voices and proclaim the word of the Lord and trusting that God will do with it what he pleases yeah. and to be faithful to send the word out. So he, he, he talked to me for like three hours or so. And I think I just needed to find some resolve. Where is all this coming? And uh, he said, look, it seems that God's calling you. Let's uh, let's get you to the Super Bowl. And that's his flagship event, Super Bowl outreach. I've been to the last um, four, four of the last five Super Bowl outreaches. It's incredible. And um, it changed my life. It really, really did. Because the preaching, the sound biblical preaching I heard out there on the street was beautiful. Bring tears to your eyes. So you're there to pass out tracks and learn more about open air preaching and the preaching you're hearing. It's like, this should be on YouTube. You know, this should be just put on blast. I mean, right. why is no one repenting yet? I mean, this is incredible. <laughs> I mean, the most sweet, beautiful proclamation of the gospel. And I just, I, I was, I, I've never, I've been pursuing missions and evangelism for so long. And yet, I've never experienced this. And the book of Acts came alive. This is what Christ was doing, going village to village, preaching the gospel. And right. everything kind of came to this point where I will never be the same. And, you know, there was a training day where Bill allows first timers like me. There's even pastors, seminary professors. They come out on this training day because they've never experienced open air preaching before. And more of it's caught than taught. And you show up and you kind of get the sense of it. And then finally they said, hey, Zoe, you're up, you know. And we had already gone through the, the qualification process, the registration process to be sure that my doctrine is solid, right? right. And then finally I have that moment to kind of stand up on the stool and lift up my voice. And never have I ever, never have I ever. I've preached in pulpits. I've preached all around the world in little house churches and whatever. But never have I ever stood on a sidewalk and lifted up the Bible, said, thus saith the Lord, and proclaim his word. And I knew the second I lifted up my voice, I would never be the same. And I would be intricately, you know, intimately um, involved with this discipline, this practice for the rest of my life, that it, it should be ingrained in what we call normal biblical Christianity. And it's just been... Um, it's just been put on the side, but there is a revival happening uh, right now, and it's very encouraging to see. It is. It is very encouraging. Where do you see a revival taking place? You mean within the church, or do you mean out there in the world? Yeah, I, I apologize. Like, 
I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to use the the word revival flippantly. Sure. Um, but I will say that there's a renewed interest in biblical evangelism. Um, okay. I think that's coming on the heels of reformed um, reformed theology, the rise. Yeah. Yeah. And so now that the, our theology is being reformed, now our practices will be reformed, right? So, yes. um, you know, you see the growth of end abortion now, yep. abolitionism uh, in reform circles, and we're seeing people um, go out to the streets for the first time for any sort of reason. We just need to see believers meet together with other believers, but not at a church building, right? Out on the street. Um, serving the Lord through preaching of the gospel and uh, blessing, blessing whoever they come across, blessing them with truth um, and trusting the Lord with the results. And so I see more and more people going out to the streets, uh, especially in reform circles. Uh, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, that is very exciting. You're right. It's been so interesting to see what's happened in the aftermath of the Young Restless Reformed Movement. Uh, from, you know, whatever it was, the early 2000s till about 2014. And I typically view the, I don't know when, when you could say the movement started, you know, it, if I say young restless reformed, you know what I'm talking about, right? So yeah. I typically put the end of that right around the time of Driscoll's, Mark Driscoll's downfall, because I think so many people were connected to Mars Hill church and everything that was going on out there. And when he fell from grace, so to speak, he, um, I think sort of, you know, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So many young, restless reform types scattered and many went to Anglicanism. Many went, uh, woke. We're seeing that now we're seeing a lot of, a lot of former, um, young, restless reform types going woke. And, um, and many have, I think, uh, gone towards more the the theonomist route. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the strongly post mill theonomist route, um, you'll see that in like the fight, laugh, feast, uh, network and apologia and things like that. Apologia being Baptist fight, laugh, feast being more Presbyterian. And then there's the people who get it truly right. Like you and me, Zoe, where we go new covenant theology and we say, this is uh here I stand. I can do no other. And, uh, fulfilling the Reformation dream of Martin Luther. We have come all the way back to the Bible. And um, I'm being, you know, brother, you know, I'm being facetious, but I'm, I'm also not being facetious. <laughs> I'm also, I also really do think it's, it's correct. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Zoe and I both subscribe to new covenant theology, which is a scheme for fitting the, the whole Bible together that um, there's, there's covenant theology, new covenant theology, reformed Baptist theology, and then uh, there's there's other schemes in between there, dispensationalism. But um, but what's really exciting is you've started this ministry and you are out doing what you call biblical evangelism. And when you first used that phrase to me, you, you said it like, yeah, like you should know what this is. And shame on me. I didn't know what the heck you were talking about. I'm like, biblical event? Yeah, it's, evan it's evangelism. I mean, isn't evangelism biblical? Obviously, there are better ways than not. You want to be proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel. But I recently came down to you, uh, down to your neck of the woods down there in New Orleans for declaring truth at Mardi Gras. And look, I, I do have the picture to prove it, okay? If you're watching on on um, YouTube right now, you can see the, the picture. There's me there on the left. And um, there are the brothers. It was a small group. It was small but mighty. 
and it was a mini conference and mission where we went out on the streets and right down to the heart of New Orleans, um, right there at, uh, tell me with the streets again. It was, um, was it Canal and? Canal and Bourbon. Yes. Canal and Bourbon, which for those of you who are familiar with like Chicago, it's, it's like the Magnificent Mile or, uh, or Navy Pier or something. Or like if you, if you know New York City, it's a little bit like the Times Square. It's, it's where everybody gathers, especially at Mardi Gras. And I know it was a light year. You told me that there were hardly any people there compared to past years, but brother, it was the most incredible experience for me. Mm. And this idea of biblical evangelism is one that has really hit home with me. Mm. It has really stuck with me. Could you just explain, and we're getting some comments coming in here, but could you, um, could you just, Oh, you know what the comments are? Oh, look at this. Noah Despain, who is a, a faithful watcher of uh, the YouTube channel. He says, boo, 1689. Look at that. You know what? It just goes to show you. You, you can uh, you can lead a horse to the Bible, but you can't make him read it. Um, just kidding, Noah. You know I love you, brother. I don't know you, but I love you. You're a good brother, and um, I'm just hoping you can come all the way over to the dark side with us and and become NCT. But um, but listen, <laughs> uh, could you tell us, Zoe, what is biblical evangelism? Why do you call it biblical evangelism? And then we can get into the different kinds of biblical evangelism. So what is biblical evangelism? So it's a pursuit to define our practice of preaching the gospel according to scripture. That's, that's, that's our litmus test, right? And we are in a, a season, a time in church history, especially here in America, where uh, pragmatism has taken hold is doing things because it works, right? And so um, what we see in the Bible uh, are all Christians sent out to be messengers of the good news of Christ, sent out into the world. And um, that will take different you know, forms and, and avenues, but every Christian preaching the gospel. Now, how that works out for you, well, the Holy Spirit can convict you and mold you to what God's called you to. But it's every Christian preaching the gospel to unbelievers. You know, for example, I, I was in an evangelism training and there was a lady who told her story that she was so excited to participate in the training because it was going to be the first time where she was going to intentionally evangelize the lost in over 10 years. Wow. So she was repenting. Her name was Miss Kate. She gave me permission to share her story. I share her story when I speak in churches because I think we can really relate to it that this is sin to not preach the gospel. And she was repenting and we should bear fruit with repentance, right? And so she was bearing fruit. And so she participated in that mission. And so when I speak to other churches, um, yes, we can talk about what this means, biblical evangelism. And we'll get into that. But first we say, I should be evangelizing. And I've written up a document recently just to try to get a dialogue going. And, and I hope to make it public soon, but just trying to work out. We, we, as we would say around here in Louisiana, we crawfish, right? We're, we're trying to back up and back up like, well, wait, if we have a pastor going out and preaching that, that kind of covers us 
or if we have some <laughs> other brothers going out to witness regularly. I mean, hey, we're one body and this is, you know, we're not all called to preach like you, right? We're not all called to preach on bourbon, right? And you have all these objections and we need to overcome that simply. Um, you know, I go to Acts 8, 4. Why are you pulling that up, though? Is this okay to pull up scripture on your podcast here? Um, I'm I'm just disappointed that it took you so long to pull up scripture. <laughs> <laughs> while you're while you're pulling that up, though, are yeah. you are you saying that you think every Christian is literally called to get out on the street and proclaim the gospel like you, with the amplification up on the stool, you know, getting you know getting out there on the front lines? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I. Well, okay. Well, you've, you've just, you know, I know I, I put a lot in that. I know, but that's where people are going though. That's where people are going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They always go here. Right. And so we always say, uh, no, you do not have to preach the gospel like me. You just need to be faithful to preach the gospel. And once we ta start talking about faithfulness, well, that's going to be led by the Holy spirit. What faithfulness looks like for you. And so, yeah. So those who were scattered, uh, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Um, and this is right after intense persecution where men and women were being dragged out of their homes. And now these who were scattered went about through these strange places and uh, driven out by persecution. And yet they were still faithful to preach the word, uh, to preach the word or preaching the message of good news. But it's from the word. And so uh, this is everyone preaching, euangelizo, evangelizing. So one, it's like before we could ever talk about the attributes of biblical evangelism, first we say, is this something that I'm individually, individually responsible for? You know, for example, if you're a stay-at-home mom, who are the unbelievers in your life? Your kids. That's Be right. faithful to disciple your children That's right. and, and repent, have a soft heart with them, um, and preach the gospel to them regularly um, and you know, train them up in the way of Christ. So, and, but then there's, um, stay at home moms. Uh, I'm married to one, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of thinking about her all the time. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, when we're out and about, I try to, you know, remind her and empower her and, and give her prompts. Hey, and do you have your gospel? We were at a park yesterday. And so we have some gospel tracks and Hey, do you need a couple gospel tracks? Cause I see her beginning some conversation with some other moms. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I need a couple. Awesome. And sure enough, those, those couple gospel tracks went out. So praise the Lord. Praise God. Um, and so we first say, yes, this is uh, a responsibility for every believer. And so what we do is, uh, or, you know, when I, when I have the opportunity to preach in other churches and to kind of ruffle some feathers, I just try to share my story of repentance, understanding that, you know, I had put evangelism in this thing that I was doing amongst unreached people groups. Miss Kate tried to share the gospel once. She got her feelings really, really hurt. And then she didn't share the gospel for 10 years intentionally, explicitly, the good news of Christ, using her mouth, her tongue to verbally. And I don't mean to like be foolish and get so basic, but this is where things have gone. Right. So we've done we've done good deeds. We've been kind. You know, like Miss Kate says in her story, I said, you know, oh, God bless you. <laughs> and being a, being a sweet, sweet doll to people. Yeah. But that's not explicitly preaching the good news of Christ, who he is and what he has accomplished for his people. Yeah. That And calling for a response that you must repent yes. now. 
Yeah. Uh, John Piper talks about that. Well, first of all, you know that there's, there's that old quote that's being bandied about. It's not a real quote from supposedly from St. Francis of Assisi, which says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. It's a terrible quote. St. Francis never said it most likely. Mm. And if he did say it, he was dead wrong because the gospel is news. It's good tidings. It's good news. It must be proclaimed. And I remember reading this article one time from John Piper about evangelism, and he really emphasized putting the the pathos into your pre into your evangelism. I'm not just delivering the gospel. I want you to believe it. You personally, you, Mr. Unbeliever, Miss Unbeliever, my non-Christian friend or discussion partner or whoever you might be. You are an actual person that I care about. I want you. I desire you to believe the gospel and to be saved. There's a there's a personal invitation. It's not just um it's proclaiming, but it's also inviting. It's also urging. It's also appealing. And um, I'm hearing that come out in what you're saying. And I've seen the way that you deliver the gospel. So I, I've, I've seen the way you do it up on the stool, the way you're handing out tracks, the way you're, you, you know, um, as we were, we were talking to people on the street and I, I've seen the way you do it in Walmart, you know, uh, as we're, as we're uh, going, going shopping. So there's, there has to be that personal element of it. This is something that I want you personally to believe. So I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm soaking this up, man. Let's go. Keep going. Okay. So, um, you can find this online. Um, uh, this is going to be backwards. I don't know, but, uh, no, no, I, we can see it. Okay. What is that? Can you read it for us? What's it say? <laughs> reformed evangelism by Morton Smith. Okay. It is, it is excellent. And uh, I've had this on my bookshelf for years. It is, um, it's wonderful read. It actually has a section on there, biblical evangelism. Um, it's, it's going, it's putting out there uh, tulip uh, very explicitly. You know, we're, we're remembering the doctrines of grace as we approach the street, as we approach this practice. Um, and, you know, the universal proclamation of the gospel that we preach to all people understanding that God will call his people and bring them into faith in Christ. There you go. Yeah. I recommend that read. That's wonderful. Read um, the, that's, it's a free offer of the gospel to all people that they would come and draw near to Christ by faith, not according to their works. And it's open to all the work of Christ is now no longer only the people of, of Israel, but to all people, right? Uh, a people being called out from amongst all cultures, tongues, nations. It's a, um, it's a particular offer, a real and sincere offer, a commanding offer, an urgent and solemn offer. He goes on and on and on. And so and it's a call for response. It's the articulation of the good news of the gospel. It gets you to say, well, what is the gospel? And this is why this is so powerful. Evangelism is a reflection of your worship. It's very convicting. We don't speak about uh, that which we don't treasure, right? And so if you're treasuring Christ and understanding what his atonement means for you, well, what it means for him to be reigning right now supremely over all things and how that impacts you as a follower of Christ, as a child in the kingdom of light, well, if you're not reflecting on these gospel truths, well, then you don't have much to say to others. Right. 
Right. And, and so it's articulating the biblical gospel. Uh, yes. And, you know, I had, I'm not, I don't know if I should call it a rude awakening, but while I was down there with you at Declaring Truth at Mardi Gras, it was, it was so funny, man. I had this humbling moment because uh, you're talking about proclaiming the gospel. And one thing I, one thing I noticed early on, before you even explained it to me, is that you do not use gimmicks. Nobody down there used any gimmicks. Now, the reason I bring this up, I think you know where I'm going, but I was, um, the, the majority of the street preaching that I'd seen had been through Ray Comfort. And um, Ray Comfort, if you ever watch him, Way of the Master is his organization. Um, Living Waters is, is, I don't know, another name. He's got a couple of organizations and, and they're affiliated, but but Ray Comfort is just this this brilliant evangelist, brilliant communicator. Now, again, that doesn't mean we agree with all of his methods because one of his methods is he uses gimmicks to bring people in. He'll have a, a big message board with questions and he'll try to trip people up with these trick questions. He'll have people dress up in gorilla suits and different things, anything to draw a crowd. In fact, he even says he he um, he loves when, when a heckler comes because a heckler draws a crowd. So here we are. We're down at Declaring Truth at Mardi Gras. We had gone out the first night and... Um, Zoe asked me to come down as one of the speakers. And, um, and, uh, so I had just given a, a talk. Now this was, um, like the second day we had just gone out the day before I had just given this talk about how preaching the gospel is the power of God. We don't need gimmicks. We need just pure gospel. Okay. And when we preach the gospel, we should expect it to work. We should expect the power of God to save Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. So there we are. I just got done giving this talk. And I go back to my room and uh, I had some great accommodations down there. And I, I, am I had been wiped out from the first night of preaching. I was only able to go 30 minutes and then I was exhausted and uh, ran out of things to say. So I, I'm in my room. I'm pulling up on my phone how to street preach. I was like what you were saying. I'm, I'm kind of Googling how to street preach. Okay. And I came across this article by Ray Comfort and then this other video by a follower of Ray Comfort. And he's talking about all these gimmicks, all these gimmicks, drawing a crowd. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, why does Zoe not know about these gimmicks that we can use? What's going on, man? Don't you want to have a crowd? So I go back to Zoe after the break is over and I go, Zoe, I got to ask you this question, man. Why don't you use these different techniques to draw a crowd? Because I think, you know, um, the implication is, hey, we could really draw a crowd. We could preach the gospel to a lot more people. And Zoe's like, well, I'm going to let you explain this in a second. But he goes, well, you know, your theology is going to drive your, your, your methods. And then he goes, Joel, it's just like what you just taught us this morning. It's the gospel that saves, not our efforts, not our gimmicks. And it was like someone threw a, a bucket of cold water in my face because I realized, man, that I literally just taught that this morning. It's the gospel, not our gimmicks, not our efforts, not dressing up in a gorilla suit, not trying to ask trick questions to lure people in. It's the gospel alone. So, Zoe, can you talk about what separates different kinds of open-air preachers? What separates you from the Ray Comfort types and also from the real fire and brimstone, rude, damnation centered um uh what what i've heard you call pelagian style of preaching 
What's what? What are the different ways of preaching in the open air, and why do you do it the way that you do it? Okay, first I want to say, of all the people, to to um, I'm just so incredibly sensitive to those who love Ray Comfort and love to preach the gospel. I am so thankful for any Christian who's willing to hit the streets with the truth of the gospel. So let me just be so explicitly clear on that. It's changed my life. And I am very, very dear friends with others that has changed theirs. And they are faithful to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's incredible. So I just want to be really, really sensitive. So why do we do things differently? I'm not convinced. Similar to one of the attributes of biblical evangelism is that I'm not convinced in scripture that I must first develop a relationship with somebody before I preach the gospel to them. So we completely blast relationship evangelism. Is building a relationship part of preaching the gospel? Absolutely. I build it in about five seconds. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Right. And if I'm given a relationship, we praise the Lord Mm -hmm. for favor in the eyes of men. Right. I'm thankful. We're at the park the other day. and My sons are making friends with other kids, uh, other kids. And so we're we're playing a dodgeball soccer mashup. I don't know how it happened, but I was loving it. And after just give a couple gospel tracks, you know, it's just wonderful that I definitely um, what I'm trying to say is we need to reduce the amount of hurdles that are in front of believers when it comes to preaching the gospel to the lost. And one of the hurdles that's been placed in front of them is that they need to first develop a relationship because, you know, and here's the lie. They don't care about how much, you know, until they know how much you care. That's false. That's a lie. That's a lie. Uh, They've been given a conscience. They were knit together in their mother's womb by the Lord of glory, their creator, and they're accountable to him. And they need to hear that truth immediately. Uh, And as Ray Comfort always says, they're in a burning building. Am I first going to go develop a relationship with them? No, they're in a burning, burning building. I'm going to go and snatch them out of the fire. Right. right? Right. And so that that's so that's so incredibly helpful. Um, I had to consider. um, I'm not trying to run away from the uh, run away from the the question, but um, one of the issues I needed to do is deal with the doctrine of hell. Do I really believe in hell? And Christ taught on hell more than anybody else. Our doctrine of hell would be very minimized. It'd still be there, of course. But if we didn't have everything that Jesus taught on it, uh, what we knew of hell would be much, much uh, less. And so I really had to grapple with it. If I was going to leave Christ for any reason, it would be because of an eternal hell for all these people who will never truly believe in a true biblical gospel had to really work through that and repent. And the Lord showed me uh, just through time and study and meditation that you can't get away from this. It is absolutely true. If someone does not believe this biblical gospel, then they are damned forever. If God has not chosen them from before the foundation of the world, then they are damned forever for God's glory alone and for our worship. Uh, And so to really 
interact with these ideas. Okay, so all that doctrine, uh, explicitly Calvinistic doctrine is behind you and it pushes you out. So that when we go out to the streets, we know that God has purchased a people. The atonement is definite, definite atonement. Uh, when we uh, began declaring truth at Mardi Gras, you know, it's like this thing when you have a conference, you got to pick a theme. The first year I didn't pick a theme. I just was hoping and praying and people would show up. Well, yeah. the second annual conference, we chose a theme and I said, you know what? Uh, there's all these Armenian groups. They come out to Mardi Gras and uh, they're doing a face painting and they do line dancing in the streets with people and, and they're hugging on the homeless and they're saying, hey, we're preaching the gospel. We are loving on the lost. But do they preach the gospel, though? Oftentimes, no. Oftentimes, they do not. And if they do, it's uh, kind of an ABC, one, two, three, and um, the decisional regeneration, this this uh, pray a prayer. Um, they'll walk around the little beads and they'll tell you what, you know, the red bead means the blood of Christ and the white bead means the resurrection. They'll Why are you hating on those bracelets I made in Sunday school when I was... Uh... <laughs> Eight years old. I love those things. It's great. It, 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 it preaches the gospel. It, you know, it tells you about the blood of Christ, how God made us good and we've sinned and, and, well, you don't like those? No, tools can be helpful. Here's the deal. When, once you get through your beads and, and when someone was kind of nodding their heads slightly and understanding what you were saying and, and would you like to, would you like heaven? Would you like, would you like eternal life and the forgiveness right. of sins? Like, yeah, it sounds great. Okay. Pray it for me. And, right. Right. and well, if this, if the, and if your prayer was sincere, well then, well, you're sincerely in. And then they tell people that they are in heaven. Hey, congratulations. You are in heaven forever. You're my brother because we had such an amazing five minutes together. We, right. we walked through our beads uh, the some essential elements of the gospel. You prayed a prayer after me, and if you sincerely meant that prayer, well, then you're sincerely in. And and um, well, when we need to back up and first um, allow some space to preach a biblical gospel, thoroughly introducing people to who Jesus is and what He has accomplished for His people, providing a blood atonement for the sins of His people forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God, providing a space that, hey, that's okay. And that's what you're commanded to be preaching to the people. Uh, and so um, it's just slowing down. I was at a, at a Mardi Gras event and they said, um, I was I was with this other team and it was an Arminian, mostly Arminian team. There's a couple Calvinists in the group, you know, there's an Arminian team. And this lady sat down next to me and says, well, how many people did you lead to the Lord today? Well, you know, we get those questions all the time. Was like, well, we led everybody to the Lord, right? Right. But she literally asked me how many con how many conversions have I, you know, um, racked up today? You know, right. you know the, the holes in my belt, you know, the notches in my yeah. belt. Yeah. And I just, you know, Reformed evangelism, biblical evangelism. Uh, we trust that God has chosen His people. Yeah. The elect are out there. We need to be faithful. The definition of faithfulness, or the definition of success, rather is faithfulness to preach the biblical gospel clearly and call for a response, repentance and faith in that good news of Jesus. Uh, and so um, I think I did teeter away from your initial question, the attributes of biblical evangelism and then how I declared you that Mardi Gras got going. Oh, this is what I was going to say was that 
the first year we picked a theme, I picked limited atonement, definite atonement, mm -hmm. because I felt that we're, let's put a stake in the ground that we're going to be explicitly reformed here, explicitly Calvinistic. Uh, I'm a sovereign grace Baptist guy, um, 1646 instead of 1689. Um, but, <laughs> but, but what we're saying is that um, theology matters and your doctrine will, will play a role. It, it, the, the critical role at uh, seeing what you're going to end up doing out there on the streets. Yeah. And so because that we're trusting that uh, what Jesus did on the cross mattered and is complete. Exactly. It is finished. It's a definite atonement sacrifice for the sins of his people. Uh, whoever that is, we don't know, of course. Right. And so I go out to the street with a confidence to proclaim the good news of Christ confidently that God will draw them into himself. Uh, Christ will draw them into himself and he uh, will save his people. Amen. And so now, am I trusting in the arm of the flesh now? No, I'm going out trusting in what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. What God has done, it's the gospel is all his work and not mine. And so that gets away from the gimmicks. Now, am I trying to draw a crowd? Well, first, I want to say I'm thankful for the initiative and creativity that people have when it comes to evangelism. <clears throat> I'm just going to let that sit because I have dear friends that labor very, very hard at drawing crowds. Um, do Am I comfortable with... So when I read the text, it seems that crowds happened because of the providence of God. And Jesus took advantage of that, right. and he and then he got into the boat and he preached unto the people, um, because the crowds are so large pressing in, and he preaches from the from the boat there at the seashore. Yeah. Um, that that was not him giving out denarii to try to <laughs> to try to drum up the crowds. And then how did he deal with crowds after the multitudes there were fed with bread? He said, well, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me, right? And what did they do? They, they left. Yeah. Many left because you 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 had your fill of the loaves. And so any I see, I see someone dispersing a crowd yeah. <laughs> yeah. so that it would be true. And so, hey, look, have I preached to crowds? Absolutely. They gathered. God gathered them. And we need to be faithful whenever those crowds gather. And it's it's getting really intense. The crowds are pressing in. Hey, that is your moment to be faithful. Do not be fearful. Be faithful that come what may, I'm going to preach the biblical gospel. And I'm going to call all these people to repent and believe in Christ. And if they have questions, if they need counsel, I am their minister. That's another thing I really press. We go out to minister, to serve, to love, to be bold in love for people. Um, and so that just completely shuts out all that uh, semi-Pelagian, Pelagian name-calling and shouting to try to initiate these uh, these very intense encounters with people. Uh, we're going out laboring. We're laying our lives down. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot now. No, man. I, it's th This is why I had you on, brother, because you, know, you know how to talk for a long period of time. Uh, <laughs> this is this is so good. Listen, we've got some some questions that are coming in. Sure, 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 um, sure. You know, I planned some questions. I planned several questions to ask you. We are just not going to get to them, and I, and I'm perfectly fine with that, Zoe, because um, this is so important. And here, 
let me let me say this. I think that sometimes this is what I appreciate about your approach to street preaching and this whole you can call it reformed, you can call it Calvinistic, you can call it biblically faithful approach to open air evangelism. Here's what it is. Sometimes people think that you're placing a, an additional burden on someone when you call them to do this kind of bold evangelism. It's like, oh, you're going to have to muster up all these, this know-how, this skill, this strength. Um, in reality, though, you are actually reducing the burdens that people need to bear. You're, you're not saying, look, you need to go and spend 10 years building a relationship with your neighbor before you can share the gospel. They don't care how much you know until you know they know how much you care. Um, you, you don't need to uh, practice these elaborate schemes of drawing a crowd or or whatever else. I do evangelism training, Zoe, as I think you know. And, and we do, we talk about, here are some questions to ask. Here are some ways to, to, to start these conversations. Here are some things you can do. Um, I've We've actually given cup coasters, ceramic coasters, Think Institute themed coasters to our some of our ministry supporters that have discussion prompts on them so that they can have people over, practice intentional hospitality. But there's something so incredibly liberating to just saying, hey, here's the gospel. Open up to Romans 6.23, Romans 3.23, Roman, uh, 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 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10, and just deliver the gospel. And guess what? The results are not up to you. You just deliver the message. God will decide. God has already decided how he's going to use that. And he will use you and he will use his word. He will use the gospel. And that is so freeing. That is such a burden lifted off of me. I don't need gimmicks. I don't need ploys. I can just preach the gospel. That's amazing. But what if they get offended? Well, they got offended by Jesus, they, by Jonah, by Paul. Yeah, but haven't times changed? Sure, times have changed. Guess what? The gospel hasn't, and neither has the heart of man. The heart of man is just as sinful as it's ever been. Some will get offended. Some will be curious. Some will believe. It's the same thing that happened to the Apostle Paul in, in Acts 17. Yeah, I was going to, I just turned there. Now, uh, Acts 17, 16 and 17. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. What did he see? When he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. In the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. He didn't go out to purposefully draw a crowd at the marketplace. Right. He went out there and just spoke to whoever was there in God's providence, in God's in God's world, as he is ordaining all things. This is one thing that I really want to stress. A missionary shared this with me in Africa when I was in college, and I didn't at the time understand why it was so important to him. But he was talking about... Um, he was just talking about how, you know, God could send angels if he wanted to, but he doesn't. Yeah. You know, God could write the gospel in the clouds, you know, for all people to see. Right. He has chosen in his heart that he will redeem sinful people. He will redeem you and then use you as the key critical ingredient 
whereby other elect will come into the kingdom of light. And it's the only way a sinner will come into the kingdom. It's by hearing the gospel preached from another follower of Christ, someone who's been redeemed. There is no other way. Mm -hmm. So the lost will not be saved unless the Christian preaches the gospel explicitly. Now, I know people hear radio programs, TV stations, and all of that, but that only proves the point because those are believers being faithful to get the gospel out in whatever way possible, gospel tracts, books, and podcasts, and everything else, that unless Christians pursue the lost, this is this is the only way that God has prescribed where sinners are to be saved. Um, and so, you know, that, that really, that really motivated me in the early years that there is no other way. I can't justify this. And especially when there's, when I know lost people in my life, I went through a season when I began the ministry, something was on my heart that, you know, and I hope my, my family watches this. I'll send them the link, you know, but when all this began and I was being really convicted that I need to preach the gospel to all the lost as, as however many <laughs> as the Lord leads. Right? God gives you. Yeah. yeah I, but once I was convicted, there was this feeling that I need to first be faithful to preach the gospel to my own family, mm-hmm. my own household and my immediate family. And I began to book those little meetings or, or, you know, kind of go visit my mom yeah. and, and then, try to initiate and say, mom, I really want to share something with you and get into the gospel to get into what was, what was your response to the gospel at these various points in your life? Why are you not truly now a, a member of a local, uh, you know, faithful membership of a local church? Why did you never get baptized? So let's, let's actually get into it and, and talk about it. And so, so anyway, um, going through that time of preaching the gospel explicitly to my family members was a key, a key point in uh, freeing me up to rock the street. That's awesome, man. So, so good to hear that. Well, at this time, like I said, we've got some comments that have come in. And so, um, if it's all right with you, we'll address some of those in real time. Let's people do it. Want, people want to know. All right. First question is coming from Brian Zebarth. Brian, thanks so much for watching. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. If I'm not, I've I've mispronounced it quite a few times because uh, I don't know if it, maybe it's Zebarth or something like that. But um, Brian asks, do I need to have my pastor's blessing to do street preaching? How would you answer that question briefly? So... You've been sent out to preach the gospel when you repented and believed in Christ and you obey his commands. Um, however, you should eagerly desire. Um, you know, I would I would look to define the word blessing there. Um, I, I've seen it uh, defined as a smile and a nod like, OK, cool. You know, uh, are they um, does it produce some type of conflict where it's going to bring you to a point where you can no longer uh, fellowship in that church? You know, I've been told to hit the road, uh, and this is like a Calvinistic Baptist church, a nine marks church, right? <laughs> a church where we have so much agreement on it, but the elders there 
um, they said, you know, we're just not there. We just are not there. This is a boldness that we're not comfortable with. And uh, they, they encouraged me to go and find a different church. And so I would definitely seek the, uh, the conversation and the agreement and the unity with your elders. That is crucial. And of course, unity with, with the majority of the church there, the church, that there would be a, a winsomeness about you, Brian, um, that you'd be winsome. Say, look, I love my Savior, so I want to go out and, and preach his word and, and uh, introduce it to others. Invite your elder out with you. Invite other believers out with you. And just seek to be winsome and labor long in prayer. Um, and then if all else fails, if all else fails, so you're really seeking unity um, and then be willing to to perhaps um, you know, pray for another church. Uh, but but again, that's after a long road of laboring in prayer um, so that you, know, you don't end up being divisive in, in the church. So, so short answer briefly is go and preach the gospel in obedience to Christ. You don't need, you don't need your pastor's blessing to hand out a gospel track and, you know, preaching is you And so are you referring to the bold authoritative speech of Caruso, right? And where you're exegeting the word, um, you know, talk to your elders and say, you know, I want to be sent out. I want to be sent out properly. Uh, I want, I want you to be thrusting me out where you're behind me. If anybody asks me questions, I've dealt with this a lot, so that's why I'm here. Uh, if anybody asks questions about the ministry, about my doctrine, are you in my corner? You know, or if you can't even hold together a couple months of church membership or your home life is just crazy and you're not really qualified to be an elder in the first place, well, then we just need to slow down and, and try to keep you maybe witnessing and evangelizing, you know, um, before before seeking to to get out and authoritatively proclaim the word, perhaps you need to slow down and learn the gospel. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, this is coming from Gospel Ambassador on YouTube. What do you think about Precept Street preacher Kerrigan Skelly and Jesse Morell? Uh, what do they do well, and what would you do different? Are you familiar with them, Zoe? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I, I believe there is a um, Kerrigan. So I don't know enough about them. Jesse Morrell, they're, they're saying that he's um, completely off the orthodox. Yeah, so I don't know enough about <laughs> the men. I just know that at the very least, they're Arminian. And so, um, you know, semi-Pelagian. So they're going to have certain practices where uh, they're really pressing for people to respond to the gospel out of their free will because they're believing that they have that ability. Uh, and so when we preach the gospel, we know that uh, people are totally depraved. Every part of their life uh, is as evil. Uh, every part of their life is tainted with sin. And the only thing that they are able to choose with their will is uh, that according to their nature. And, and they have a sinful nature, that Adamic nature. And the only thing they can choose is choose hell and choose sin to choose rebellion. And so uh, we trust that as we preach the gospel, we're praying for God to come and give new hearts and regenerate the unbeliever so that they are able to cling to Christ and go to him. So, um, but yeah, I would be very, very weary um, if you just watch those videos, they're cringeworthy. 
Uh, I don't, I don't see that as, as the way of Christ. Um, and I, I've only heard things, but at, at this point I would say publicly, just, you just watch it and you, you look into the theology behind it. Uh, that should be enough to, to, uh, raise some questions. And I would really heartily recommend that you pursue those, those, um, evangelists and preachers that are coming from a sovereign grace perspective. Yeah. And that's one of the things I appreciate how you approach this whole discipline, Zoe, is doctrine shapes practice. Orthodoxy shapes orthopraxy, right? Right teaching right. shapes uh, doing things the right way. So I, I, I agree. I, I don't know those guys. I, I'm not as into the world of open air preaching. And, and so I'm glad you were able to answer that. I'm, I've heard the name Jeff Morrell, but I've learned my lesson uh, about, uh, you know, speaking, uh, you know, without, without enough knowledge, but uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I, I would just say, I would say stay away from those guys, but I need to be able to back that up. Right. With, with right. a lot of evidence, I would just say uh, it's not uh, Calvinistic doctrine. And if you just watch the videos is extremely cringeworthy mm -hmm. and uh, it doesn't lead you closer to Christ. And so uh, it discourages me when I watch those videos for a, lo a large part. Okay. Okay, wonderful. All right. Uh, this is a comment from Noah Despain. He says, the Bible Project did a video on the gospel. And if I remember correctly, the Hebrew idea is the triumphant proclamation that a new king has taken the throne. Definitely carries the idea of vocal proclamation to me. Um, he could be very much talking about the idea of, um, you know, in the Greco-Roman world to... UN Galizzo to proclaim the gospel or good news was carried with it the idea that uh, there was a new emperor or a new king. You were announcing the good news that a new king had taken the throne. You familiar with this idea? Yeah, let's go to Romans 10. Let's pull it up. Yeah, you have the, the string of, of rhetorical questions. Um, we'll start with verse, uh, verse eight, nine, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart. One believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Goes to Brian's question. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And he goes on to say, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Um, I believe this scripture is referencing that idea that the how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There's victory. There's victory. Absolutely. The, the victorious proclamation of the king. And it kind of goes back to reform doctrine. I'm not saying that Jesus uh, died for every single individual. And I'm going out to the street and say, Christ died for you. And they say, hey, get away from me. <laughs> I don't want you. And they die in their sins. Did Jesus lose at that point? 
No, no, no. He he doesn't lose. He's not the the little boyfriend seeking to woo. He's a wimpy character seeking to woo all these people. Yeah. Uh, I was trained in some of those practices, you know, and you work, you really work the feels and the evangelistic uh, appeals. And his his bloody hands are held out to you. Please, please come. Um, that's that's very. Vody um, Bauckham talks about the sissified needy Jesus. That's right. That's where you got the long flowing hair because, you know, he was some type of, um, yeah. So anyway, just, yeah, that's not the Jesus of scripture. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. I preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. This is news and it's the most glorious news of all the universe. And oh so God. if you've been transformed, if your life has been transformed by the by the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Christ alone, then take that victory out into the highways and hedges, the highways and byways, and deliver that news to others and to pursue intentionality and find friends who will help you be intentional to uh, preach the victorious news of Christ. So absolutely. Love it. Great. We're getting some more comments, um, but maybe we can just deal with one more here. Do you recommend fundamentalist chick gospel tracts? Um, let me weigh in on this one first. I I will say this. My church had a, a little organizer, I don't know, a little um, wooden shelf when I was growing up, I, I didn't go to a fundamentalist church. It was evangelical, kind of dispensationalist. Good church. It was a fine church. But they had these Chick tracts. And if you don't know what these are, Jack Chick was an author. Uh, no, no. Well, a, an illustrator who was – he had tried to get into the comic book world and I guess never really found success there. And so he started making gospel tracts with these uh, illustrations and they're very – Hardcore, uh, man, very anti-Catholic, very, um, very much a product of their times, very anti-occult, um, very anti-pagan, and they put this heavy influence and emphasis on making a decision for Jesus before it's too late. Here's the thing, Zoe, you might not agree with me on this. I loved those tracks, man, because. Um, now, I, I haven't seen those tracks in years. I mean, I was, you know, probably in high school last time I saw one, but I loved them because they were so unabashedly, unashamedly put the emphasis on you need to repent and trust in Jesus or you will go to hell. And I got to say, I appreciate that message because they're not wimpy. They're not uh, soft and and delicate in their appeal. And God wants you to have a, a, a better life. And so won't you please let Jesus make your life better? Instead, they say, unless you repent, unless you trust in Jesus, you will go to hell and you will face God's wrath. So I appreciate that. Looking back on them now, I have the feeling that if I were to analyze them theologically, probably I'd find them to be rather um, Pelagian in the sense of, uh, you know, you need to uh, make a decision, make a decision, make a decision rather than, um, you know, submit yourself to Christ, receive him as Lord. It's not about your decision. It's about his Lordship, but there is a decision that's involved in there. I don't know. What do you think, Zoe? The KJV only 
the the KGV onlyism will mm-hmm. be will be something to really trip you up because there you're you're introducing. I have a rule if there's anything about a gospel track that I'm not in line with that I have a that I have trouble with. Well, we hand out thousands of gospel tracks, so if there's an issue, you're you're really owning that issue, right? And and um, I have I have an entire training people can find on on our website declaringtruth.com, but um, you know, gospel tracks serve as the primary springboard for evangelism for me. I usually, I took it out of my pocket, but one second. So, so this is, so this is our newest track, you know, and I just walk around with it in my pocket there. His way is perfect. There's 20 Bible passages on this and it's all scripture. It's all scripture. And then you can put your church information. We put our Caruso Baptist Church information back there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, because we'll hand out thousands of tracks because I use it um, as an evangelism springboard, um, you know, I'm going to be answering questions about every single thing on that track. Um, we're to make disciples of all nations, right? And so this is a discipleship tool as well. I'm, if God, um, I give tracks to Christians and encourage them to give them to unbelievers. I encourage them to read the content, to read the gospel so that they begin to evangelize as well. So there's every element of the gospel tracks really, really important to me. Mm. So, uh, for example, I don't think we should really train believers to do the pray after me prayer, uh, the the model prayers. Uh, they could be helpful, but do I love it so much I want to put it in a tract? I feel like it's been abused, um, especially in many of the chick tracks, they will... Uh, say, if you've prayed this prayer sincerely, then congratulations, you know, or so to Is speak. Is that right? Do they have that in there? Yeah, yeah, typically. Uh, and that's that's run-of-the-mill Arminian theology, though, too, you know. that. What they, is this theology? Do you know about Jack Chick? Yeah, uh, just it's Arminian KJV only. That That's about that's about all I know with it. But, okay. you know, I love the Roman Catholic tracks. I mean, it's 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 brilliant. You mean yeah. the, the Chick tracks that deal with Roman Catholicism? Yeah, because you've seen so many, so much of a, a, a puny gospel message, um, which do we love unbelievers? If we love them, then we should really pursue them with the gospel. And and so I really enjoy that. Uh, their tracks to Roman Catholics are just really excellent. But yeah, I would say the KJV only. Um, the, I'm not I'm not at peace with that position. I have some I'm sympathetic to it a little bit, but um Anytime you make something major, well, then um, it's a discipleship issue for me. And it's not, it's, we need to make the gospel major. Yeah. Amen. Um, we actually have, it looks like a King James onlyist in the comments right now who is, <laughs> uh, who's supporting that doctrine. Unfortunately, this is not the episode to get into that. The next episode, next episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, um, or I would, I would probably just direct anybody to the King James only controversy, which is a book I haven't read, but I, I know it's by James White and I've heard him talk about King James onlyism quite a bit. And so I would endorse his view on that. So, uh, if you're in the comments right now and you're hoping to get us into a conversation on King James onlyism, this is not the time, but, um, <laughs> but we'll say this insofar as the King James Bible reflects the original autographs, the original manuscripts, more power to it. I, I fully endorse it. Insofar as it does not, well, then can endorse it. So 
we've got to wrap up here, brother, but how can people get in touch with you, follow your work? Um, maybe come on down to, um, Mardi Gras next, next year. And then let me ask this question as well. And if you could just answer this one quickly, what would be like the next step someone could take if they wanted to get into open air preaching or this kind of on the street frontline evangelism? Um, go to where the sinners are. Satan gathers people together, uh, pursuing sin. Uh, God gathers people together uh, as he is uh, drawing the elect into the kingdom. Um, go to where the people are. You know, um, I serve in New Orleans and Baton Rouge and Baton Rouge is not as much of the street scene as there is in New Orleans. And so we go to the, we go to busy street intersections and we hold up scripture signs and we use voice amplification so that people can hear us while they're in their cars. But you see the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people on the highway and it's just your love and compassion just draws you to, to go and reach them wherever they are. I've gone to a Roman Catholic, you know, church services as whenever they were coming out or, no, when they were going in, I wanted to get truth to them. You just want to go to maybe fairs and festivals, uh, major sporting events, um, wherever. You know, when you hear the news reporting about a major concert, or you just go where people are. Get yourself some tracks. We're going to make this track, for example, available on our website, um, and then we could put your local information on the back of there for follow up for you. But you can get, you know. Calvinistic gospel tracks. I really recommend that. Um, and just get them and hand them out to everyone. Our rule is everyone gets a track. Uh, local college campuses, go to your local abortion mill and make sure everybody gets a gospel track. Um, and so, yeah, next steps is just go, go, go. That's, I know that's so hard. It's like, well, how? Um, yeah, you can give me a call <laughs> at 985-277-1967, 985-277-1967, and I'll counsel with you. There was a, an old friend in, in California, and he was the one guy in his church who was ready to go out, but he had a suspicion that if he would have asked uh, his friend, then maybe he would go out with them. And in California, they're so independent and closed off from others. It's like, don't talk to me. And he was he was really hesitant to go. And I said, you get your friend and you go out to a local park or wherever you see the people and you seek to preach the gospel, read your favorite gospel, uh, uh, your favorite Bible verses um, in the open air and just seek to get the scriptures in the open air, bring gospel truth out to where people are and have those gospel conversations and God will bless your efforts. Uh, God will do it. So next steps, talk to someone who's doing the work, call me declaringtruth.com 985-277-1967. Get in touch with us. Um, one thing is if you see that you want to be more faithful in evangelism and you want to invest time and effort to correcting your evangelistic practices, uh, well then go to a conference, right? So that's why we've built Declaring Truth at Mardi Gras. Um, they've, they, they canceled parades last year, so it's really small crowds. We expect everything to be back up to, to running with just so many parades where a million people come into New Orleans over the course of Mardi Gras and declaring truth that Mardi Gras is an annual four day uh, mission trip and evangelism conference where you'll receive counseling and training, discipleship, 
prayer, worship, witnessing on the street together with like-minded brothers and sisters. This is the first year where we're allowing uh, women to come. It could be intense, right? So for a long time, we've said men only, but this year we're allowing married couples. And so come with your wife down to Mardi Gras to preach the gospel and we'll counsel together. But next steps, really err on the side of boldness and get out there um, with your Bible. You you own a Bible. So don't even use the fact that you don't have gospel tracts yet to keep you from evangelizing. Amen. Open up the Bible, turn to Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 6, Romans 8, <laughs> John 1, John 3. Open up the text and say, may I read the scripture to you? Mm-hmm. May I introduce you to Jesus and tell you just for a moment, may I tell you about Christ? And so really be winsome and get out there. I love it, man. It's, it's what I talk, it's what I say when I talk about evangelism. No, when I talk about apologetics, I say the, the Bible itself is your number one apologetical tool. It's the same way when it comes to evangelism, use the Bible. You and I are not going to come up with anything better than what God's already come up with. We're not smart enough. We're not powerful enough. Uh, we're, we're not God. God has revealed to us 66 books, and they all point to Jesus Christ. They all center around the gospel. Man, flip open a page. If you know your Bible, if you're in practice of of reading your Bible and, and studying diligently, how does this passage point to the Lord Jesus Christ? You should be able to open to Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, open up to any book. Old or New Testament, and find how it points to Jesus, and then do like the old preacher said and make a beeline to the cross. And um, rather than studying gimmicks, rather than studying techniques, cr- crowd drawing practices, study your Bible, get to know the gospel, practice, practice, practice communicating the gospel, and God will bless it. And some that bless let him decide what that blessing looks like <laughs> not not man made uh metrics i would um, say memorize scripture yes. uh, as far as next steps memorizing bible verses or those those gospel saturated bible verses romans 623 you know uh john 316 memorize those gospel centric bible verses where it's just so jam packed with truth and then give that Preach unto the people, as Acts 10, uh, 42, I believe. I was going to encourage you with this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Getting back to the attributes of biblical evangelism, we're trusting that the gospel alone has the power. It is that has the power. And so God saves people according to Um, the gospel and the power therein. And so trust that uh, God has given you everything you need to witness to others um, in an obedient fashion in the place where God has you. And so be faithful, trusting that God blesses the gospel message preached. Amen. Amen. Brother, it has been so great having you on. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule. I know you've got a ton on your plate right now. I just really appreciate you coming on and uh, thank your wife on behalf of me and Elisa and all the viewers and everybody who comments and everybody who's watching later. Uh, this, this was a great blessing. Did we cover everything I wanted to cover? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But um, 
I think we both agree this is not the last conversation we're going to have. It's not the last time we're going to collaborate together, partner together. So please do thank your wife, thank your kids um, for lending you to us for this time. And um, seriously, guys, if you want to know more, contact Zoe. I can't believe he gave out his phone number, but I'm going to give it again. 985-277-1967. Call him up. And, um, and he's got the light phone. So do I look at that's that. It. That's it. I knew we're, it. We're <laughs> hey, this is my tagline for the light phone, the purity phone that the world made on accident. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. That's right. <laughs> Amen. I love it. Um, thank you guys for watching the, the think podcast with Joel Sedicase. That's me, of course. And let me just encourage you to send any inquiries or complaints, comments, concerns to the think dot institute at gmail.com. You can check out all of our resources for kids by going to the think dot institute slash catechids. Check that out. And if you feel moved to partner with the think Institute, um, financially and prayerfully, you can do so by going to the think dot institute. Uh, Ooh, let me get that up on the screen here. The think, Oh, I have it on the screen. Sorry. Give dot crew. C R U dot org slash one zero one eight eight four one. And um, you can learn more about what it looks like to partner with us. Also, let me encourage you to go to declaringtruth.com because Zoe is also a support raising missionary. He and his wife are support raising missionaries. And uh, there aren't too many organizations I could re recommend more highly, if any, than declaring truth. These brothers and sisters are living it out, man. They're on the front lines down there in Louisiana doing some incredible work. Definitely go check them out. Well, as always, I sure hope you have found something helpful. I know I certainly did. And uh, remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. That's about all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think. <laughs>